uh, for us. So, and here's what we're doing. Um, we took three weeks. We're going through the book of Mark from beginning to end. It's a gospel. It's a biography of Jesus. Jesus is who we follow. In Hebrews, it says Jesus is the perfect expression of, of God. Like, the essence of God is found in the face of Jesus. And so if you want to know what God's like, you study Jesus. And, uh, and we are apprentices or followers of Jesus. We want to we be like Jesus. Um, we want to know Jesus. And so that's why we're going through the book of Mark. <laughs> we press pause. We have a lot of people that are um, saying we want to lean in with a deeper commitment to, to what God's doing in and through Church of the Open Door specifically. We had a membership lunch last week. I think there's already around, we had, and we sent people off to really pray and discern, and right away, um, there were just so many people that said, no, this is our church home, we're committed, that are newer to our church family. And I think there was like 25 so far, somewhere around there, it said, yeah, and there's more that are discerning, another membership lunch today. And, um, and so we just said, with, with some of that happening, we actually wanna press pause and ask some obvious questions. How many of you know some of the most obvious things you miss? Um, like, for example, there's a term called visual lethargy that artists use, I've used it before, and you see something long enough, you stop seeing it. So example is this, um, the fall. How many of you love the fall and how the trees change? It's just, it's amazing right now. If, it, if the trees always looked that beautiful, we would never talk about it because we'd actually stop seeing it. Our brains move something from the center of our gaze to the peripheral the more we see it, visual lethargy. And so we looked at our mission and vision, which are really centered around the biblical story of discipleship. When we talk about spiritual formation, we're talking about growing in the image of Christ. We're talking about discipleship. It's Jesus' invitation to take up your cross and follow me. Come follow me. Let me show you the path of life. That's what that is. But today, we're doing something a little bit different. We're gonna press pause on the Mark series to look at one of the most obvious things we don't always ask. We gather. Like, we gather. Some of you are online gathering. We gather in a physical space like this. How and why do we gather and just want to ask that question because I, I, I think what, I've, what I know is, is true is that there are many answers to that. So we're actually going to look to scripture and just ask the question, why, why do we do this? Why do we do this every week? Why does it matter? And how do we do this? And, um, and, and you'll probably see more of the heart behind it as we go forward. And so, um, but I want to start by saying this, how we gather um, is both historic and it's beautiful. It's historic and it's beautiful. And so I'm just gonna start there. And, and we're gonna be in a, a handful of different scriptures, but Acts chapter two is kind of our anchor um, for today. And so um, let's go ahead and look real quick at Acts chapter two, and we're gonna look at verses 44 through 47. And this is the birth of the church. This is thousands of years ago. This is, this is what sort of, started it all. It's why we're here gathering today. And it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. That's that generosity we're talking about. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying, and enjoying the favor um, of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And so we can kind of see the beginning of, of how this took place. And in Hebrews, it's interesting because there's actually a time in different expressions of church throughout the world where this habit of gathering began to break down. And actually the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 um, actually says, don't forsake gathering like some often, like some have. Really calling out that the gathering of God's people is a really important part of, of our rhythms. In fact, this is a rhythm that's shared all throughout the centuries, all throughout the world. Um, and even today, we're think, I was thinking about this this morning, the church has gathered and is gathering for, for centuries in cathedrals, in caves, in auditoriums, in basement, in sanctuaries, and in homes, just in, in open air spaces, but the church is coming together, all, and it always has. It always has, nothing new. It always has. 
Churches always come together. And, um, and it's always been our central, or one of the central experiences in fostering unity and a kingdom culture. It, it just is, that's, and that's the reality, and I found it, and even though, even though I don't, I actually, there's something in me that doesn't like that even standing on a platform like this I don't really like the lights on the platform, um, sometimes because it can trick our brains into thinking that this is the point, but it's not. God's the point. And, um, and sometimes I can tell myself that even what we're doing here by teaching the Bible, that um, it's not the only thing we do. And it's not the only thing we do. But I can lower the importance of it, but, but I have to actually come to a place as a pastor where I go, actually, how we... How we approach the faith in this space is, is one of the number one culture nurturing things that we do as a church family. Why? Because we're all together. Um, and it just always has been. And it's also beautiful. Um, and we experienced that in the chaos of the past couple of years and all the disunity, um, some of that disunity had definitely has creeped into the church at large. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting how like, Early on in church's history, it was, it, I think it was looked at as a great victory when Constantine made church the, or Christianity the, the national religion, um, and, and, it, and it, it could probably felt like the, the church was coming into the empire, and you've probably heard this before. What, what ended up happening is the empire was moving into the heart of the church, and instead of the church shape, shaping the empire, the empire was shaping the church, and, and it became really destructive um, over time. But what we get to experience truly is transcendent of, the earth, of worldly divides. And, and, and here's why. Um, because this is an expression of the kingdom of God. And we are citizens, not of this world first and foremost. Um, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. There's a unity that holds us together that is deeper and wider and than, than the, the, the type of unities that hold our world. And it's not tolerance. It's the ability to even love our enemies, which it's been said that where the world's love ends and the Christian love is made most visible is the ability to lay down my life, to love my, even those the world would deem as my enemies. And, it, and it's also transcendent of isolation. We come out of hiding and have a weekly rhythm as a family of God because we often forget, and I often forget, that I'm not alone that we're not alone. And I would think like one of the tragedies of like even the pandemic that we walk through is that isolation takes a magnifying glass and puts it on pain. So if there's anything that you're walking through that had nothing to do with, with the pandemic and, and all of that, like that just took a magnifying glass. Like you do that over an ant with the sun coming through and like it just magnifies it, right? That's what isolation does. And, uh, and so... Um, so we find ourselves in gathering, coming out of hiding every week and remembering that we're not alone, but it's deeper than that. We foster a culture centered around practicing the presence of Jesus in worship, in communion, and the way of Jesus, as practicing the way of Jesus as we gather so that when we scatter, we can continue to practice the presence and the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. This is a tone-setting reality one day in seven. And throughout the years, many times the, the church has aligned the gathering with Sabbath. I, my Sabbath gets thrown off a little bit because I'm emotionally, mentally engaged in different ways, and so I offset it a little bit, but I do look at this as such an expression of Sabbath, and, uh, and I'm just so grateful. Um, I'm just so grateful, and, I, and just on a personal level, this to me has been a safe place to be weak, feeling seen and feeling loved. I'm really grateful. Um, I could go on about that, but today I'd like to give a simple framework for how we gather that is rooted in the scriptures, in the Bible, that can help us have a strong unity around the why behind the what. Um, and so it's gonna kind of help us frame like why, like how we gather. So why do we gather the way we do? Why do we make some of the decisions that we make? And the framework's gonna look like this. It's gonna start with our identity. It's gonna move to foundation. And then it's gonna move to focus. So everybody say identity. Identity. Everybody say foundation. Foundation. Everybody say focus. So that's the outline. 
That's it for today. And you'll be able to see it visually because I got a beautiful picture. A couple circles I'm gonna draw for you. Amazing. Um, my friend Delphin here, he's an artist and I learned everything from him. I love you, Delphin. Um, that was a joke, by the way. He's amazing, for real. Um, okay, so we're gonna start with identity first off. And I wanna go to... Um, this is always a great place to start. And I actually want to go to, for, there's, a, there's a, a theme of identity, like a thread that's woven through all of scripture. And we're going to uh, real quick turn to 1 John um, chapter 3, verse 1. And this is beautiful, and we can all say amen after this. Here's what it says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And so it calls out our identity. Now, look at somebody next to you for a second. So if you're a child of God and the person, now look at somebody across the room that you don't know. Look at somebody across the room that you don't know for a second. Awkward eye contact. Go ahead and make it. And if they're a child of God, then what does that make you both in relation to each other? Does it make you siblings? It's so good. And we actually use a lot of family language around here, but there's a reason why. And you'll see this all through scripture. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it actually calls it out. Like Paul talks about the, the household, the household of faith, talking about the church. Um, and so the reason why I wanna point this out is this. When the church comes together, it is truly a family gathering, that is what it is, that is what it is. And I know not everyone's on that journey with Christ, and I just wanna say this, it's not an exclusive family, it's an inclusive family, so, so the invitation is this, do you wanna be a part of the family? Um, and it starts with opening up your life to the love and leadership of Jesus. Like adoption just is the theme, it just runs through scripture. This is a family gathering. Now here's what's interesting, because you can turn on a commercial that makes you think if you drink a Pepsi, you're a part of a family. Welcome to the family, whatever. Um, or a car commercial, yeah, you know, you drive a certain car, you're part of the family. It is, this is not a marketing scheme. This is not a platitude. This is not just to make us feel good. We're not overplaying family. It is, it is a, it, it's actually a deeper, it's the deepest form of family. And here's the thing, like, we're learning to live into it. Now, I've had people tell me before, uh, well, it doesn't feel like a family all the time. And, and I just wanna go, wait, 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 wait. Is there any family on planet Earth that's not dysfunctional on some level? <laughs> it does feel like a family because we can be pretty dysfunctional sometimes and, and functional. And we're, we're, here's it. We look at like a plant, like a garden. We're growing in the image of Christ together. We're not perfect, not about perfection, but direction. We're facing the sun. We're growing towards the image of our creator. And, and we're on that journey together. It's a, this is a family gathering. It's not a production, it's not a show. It's, uh, it's, it, that's our identity, we are family. And so that's what I'm gonna start with. And, and where do we start on the outline? What did we start with? Identity, there you go. So we're gonna start with family. And today we're talking about the gathering of God's people. So this is a family gathering, okay. So that's where we begin. Um, and I, I want to point this out for a second. There are a few tangible examples of how we live into our identity while gathering. Um, and these are decisions we made. They're not the best decisions. They're not the only decisions, but they're decisions we made. You probably have seen over the past year furniture start popping up outside and inside the church building. How, how many of you have noticed that? There's been furniture that's just magically showed up. Why? Why, do we, why? why are we doing that? It's just a very tangible decision. But here's, here's the why behind the what. We actually want to create and, and actually align our physical space to a culture of family, giving people places to sit, to eat, to talk, to interact, inside and outside, until snow flies. And some of you are still crazy outside in your shorts. Minnesotans are nuts, and I love it. Um, and so it's identity. Uh, this donut moment and cookie jam stuff we're doing. Um, I, we have the gift of Katie Beasley here, and she comes up with these things, these ingenious ideas that are just so silly but actually end up being really profound encounters with who? With each other. 
And there's a secret mission behind some of the parties that we throw, and you'll experience it in the gathering place if you're new here afterwards. The secret mission is this, to slow us down, to see each other. One of the, one of the most common expressions through the Bible and through the New Testament specifically, of the, or of the whole scripture actually, the kingdom of God is eating together. And so we are looking for opportunities to break bread, to listen to song, to see each other, to interact, to become friends that have started out as family. It's weird, isn't it? I love it. It's like it's a reality not of this world. It's kind of crazy. Um, it's why we do things like Novembering, where we look back at the year and remember our losses together. And we mourn together, and we look back, and we remember, and we celebrate God's goodness in the midst of it. And, and this is the last one I want to point out, and I am going to go a little late today, and um, you know, the Bears game is going to happen, and we'll get to it on time. Um, uh, we had our kids in here last week. Uh, how many of you are here for that? The kids were in here, yeah. We're doing that right now. Um, we set up a few months to do that uh, every other week to bring our elementary age kids in the room for the beginning of our gathering. And here's why we decided to do that. Because children who actually learn how to interact with a multi-generational space um, before they become older um, integrate into the body of Christ much smoother. In fact, the percentage begins to really skyrocket on how, over time, those children as they become adults stay connected to the body of Christ wherever they live. If we can begin to integrate them into multi-generational space over time. And so notice that when we bring them in the room, we're bringing them to the front, not putting them in in the back. Um, So we're not saying like, you're just a part of, we, we want you to feel like you're the center of what God is doing here, and we're blessing them. If you notice last weekend, last weekend, we blessed them and sent them out, and then they went into their individual spaces. We're just trying some stuff out to be able to foster a reality of family. Some of the children don't even know when their parents drop them off, they actually attend a gathering and are going to church too, and now they will. And so we wanna create family where we have spiritual moms and dads, big brothers and sisters, grandma, grandparents, grandmas and grandpas, and, and children in the Lord. And so now we're gonna move from identity to foundation. Everybody say foundation. Are you with me? I know this is different. This is a different approach to what we normally do. Are you okay with that? Yes, doesn't matter. We're doing it anyway. All right. In Psalms 119, we begin to see like this poetry where scripture teaches that the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The word of God, the words of God. Psalms chapter one talks about the laws of the Lord. It's like meditating on that. It's, being, it's like a tree being planted by water. All these metaphors in scripture. But as we turn to the New Testament, we, we, we get um, um, that potency, I think, increases in, in the words of Paul. Like First Timothy uh, chapter three, verses 16 through 17, um, Paul writes this, all scripture, the Bible, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. And in Hebrews chapter four, it talks about how the word of God is like a, it's like a, a, a it, it's a sword that actually cuts deep. It's not that we read the Bible, it's that the Bible reads us. It's not that we study the Bible, it's that the Bible studies us. It's God is using it through his spirit to invite us into a deeper reality of, of life with, with God. And so um, we see this foundation all through scripture. I just pulled a few. Our foundation for understanding God, his kingdom, and living as a disciple of Jesus is the, is the Bible, is the word of God. And so I'm just gonna put that right there. That's our foundation. I'm putting it low because just like you, you build a house with a foundation, there's a foundational aspect to this that is like what we know about God is found in the scriptures. So it's, it's kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. Um, here are a few tangible examples of living into this foundation as we gather. Um, this, is, this is why we actually teach through books of the Bible. We don't always do that. We'll press pause, advent, and do different things, but one of our primary approaches is teaching through books of the Bible. Well, there's a reason why we do that. It's not the only way, and it's, it's, it, it, there's other ways to approach the scriptures, but I wanna just tell you why. Um, we've made that decision, in part, and that's a historic decision in Church of the Open Door, but for very 
um, very tangible, tangible reasons. Um, we, we're, we teach through it, and I want to tell you it's both easy and hard to do that. You got to know it's easy and hard. It's easy because we don't have to come up with a fancy new sermon series every month. Um, that takes a lot of creativity, and, and it's great. It's not necessarily a bad thing to do that. Um, but it's easy just to go, well, what are you teaching a month from now? Well, let's just see, da, 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 Mark chapter six. Where, I mean, it just sort of lays it out because you're teaching, here's why it's hard. Because you're not skipping over anything. So a few weeks ago, we're going into the fall. Yeah, high momentum fall, it's all in the air and it's Jesus' teaching on divorce and marriage. Uh, ended up being such a beautiful weekend of just life and healing in our community. And it's like, oh man, you, but you don't, we just didn't skip over and, and what we're doing by doing that is we're coming under the authority of Scripture. We're saying there's an authority outside of ourselves. It's not just what I think is true is true. Um, that breaks down. There's an authority outside of ourselves, so we come under the authority of Scripture. That's partly why we, we practice that way. It's why we, we have actually practices and spiritual disciplines um, that are aligned with seasons and, and scriptures, and we go through the Christian calendar, and if you've ever heard of that, it's just a tool that helps us live through the life of Christ um, throughout the year. That's why we do Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter. That's all that is, is living through the life of Christ as found in scripture. And so that's our foundation. In, in, a, in a sense, that's our foundation. And so here's what I'd like to do, I'd like to do real, real quick. Um, um, I actually, so this is, we can look at that as, in a sense, how we gather. Um, and, and that's beautiful. Um, and I would just name it, just the family gathering by itself is, is terribly incomplete. But, and I'm gonna say this, and it, I'm not sure how it'll settle, settle on you, but, but whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, take it in for a moment. Just wanna invite you to do that. The family of God plus the word of God is important, but it's not enough. These two alone deny actually the most central claim of the Bible, that God is actually with us. As important as those two are, alone, it's just not enough. And so there's a focus of our gathering. We do focus on each other, we do focus on the scriptures, but there's a main, you've heard us say it plenty of times, keep the main thing the main thing. There's one North Star in our life that doesn't move in a world where everything's changing and shifting, and that is our Lord and Savior. It is God, it is Jesus. And so we're gonna look real quick, and uh, in order to talk about the presence of God um, in the way that scripture teaches, we're actually gonna jump back to the Hebrew scriptures. Are you still with me today? A little, a little different, you with me? So we're gonna go back to Joel. Uh, Joel chapter two, this is before the, the Jesus came incarnated, uh, fully God and fully man, so before Jesus was born. So we're gonna go back to Joel chapter two, and there's actually a prophecy in uh, verses 28 and 29, and, and here's what it says. It says, and afterwards, talking about the future, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Um, so there's coming a time where the spirit of God is gonna pour out on humanity and then um, in Joel's day, and I just want to note this for a moment because it's, it's, it's important. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, before Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended, and the spirit of God was poured out on humanity, um, there was a sense that they had revelation without presence. And in fact, the people of God were really dependent on the prophets to hear the word of God. They would get these revelations and many prophets were like scared the people because they're like, what are they gonna say on behalf of God? They're kind of freaking me out. Like, because sometimes it was judgment and sometimes it, you know, it was just this whole story that's, that's pouring out through the prophets. It was revelation. So it was in a sense, there, there, there was a sense of family identity and there was a sense of the word revelation, but without presence. Um, but actually, as we move to the future, there was a big shift that happened. Um, in their minds, there was revelation and the kingdom of God was somewhere out there. It was somewhere in the future. But what did Jesus say in Mark chapter one? Actually, the kingdom of God is within reach now. 
repent and believe the good news. Something's changed. Something's changed. And so Acts chapter two, that day has come. You can actually walk with God directly. This past week, I spent some time on Tuesday night um, with a group of you, uh, me, Dave Johnson, Tom Johnson, um, we talk together uh, about the Holy Spirit. And, and that class is happening on Tuesday nights at seven. I'm sure you could jump in uh, if you'd like to, even late. Um, uh, and we shared our stories. And it really brought me back in my journey, sharing my story around my experience of the Holy Spirit. I really, over the years, have had some wonderful memories and encounters with God's presence, which presence with scripture calls Holy Spirit, but I've also had a lot of fear and trauma attached to those words. Um, and, and it feels weird saying that in a church setting, but um, you know, in, in some of the expressions that I grew up in, it was, there was many beautiful experiences experiencing the presence of God, but there were also some hard ones. And what I began to see happen as I look back in my life, as I gathered with the church that was oriented around the presence of God, I, I began to look at the presence of God as more um, a pressure-inducing reality. And, and any, it seemed like in my life that anywhere I went uh, to a church gathering or to a, a prayer meeting, there seemed to be, um, when it, you talked about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and the kingdom coming and miracles and signs and wonders, it seemed like pressure to me. Like we gotta experience something. We gotta make something happen. And the environments had a lot of pressure and that pressure began to wear me down. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? You know what I'm talking about? And, and sometimes it just freaked me out. Like what's going on? I can't fit it in my brain. That was weird. And there was pressure because I would feel, and I, I, I told some very specific stories in that class and I won't go into all those here. I'd be glad to share more outside of this setting, more specific stories just for the sake of time. Um, but I, I just remember um, when I discovered a, a different type of theology, actually. Uh, I discovered a, a type of theology that felt like freedom and actually wasn't. And it was a theology that's pretty common um, in, our, in our culture. And, and it's actually a theology that says that the, the works of the Spirit uh, were for back then, they're not for now. They were for back then, not for now. And I... And when I came across this theology, I kind of loved it. It's a, a one term used for that, is cessationalism. And I, I kind of liked it because now I found a stream of Christianity that could fit nicely in my brain. Um, I didn't have to be in environments that were high pressurized. It fit kind of nicely in my brain and it felt, it felt good. And uh, because... I could breathe, it felt like I could breathe. And, and the pendulum began to swing and here's what began to shift in me. Um, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit began to s slowly begin to turn into a different expression of the Trinity. Maybe you've heard this before, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And, and it was, it's in a sense, for me, it, becomes, it became kind of like a practical atheism where I, I, I would say I would say that I'm a follower of, of Jesus, but I can actually live as if God doesn't exist. Where I, I actually take the pressure of God, instead of, instead of in my weakness um, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can actually try to make it all happen on my own. And, and so I'm saying I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and on the inside, it's like I'm wasting away. It's like the weight of the world's on me. Even early on as a pastor, I began to experience this like separation from the presence of God. Um, and it was a separation born out of, out of all sorts of things, fear and insecurity, all sorts of things. And, um, and the problem with this reality is this, uh, as I began to settle into it, is it's just, it's not found in the Bible. It's not the story of scripture. No wonder things were starting to break down in my soul. And the, the problem is that it creates a faith around doing as our central function and robs us of intim the intimacy that God desires to have with us. And I did begin to see like this, this love that was at the beginning of my, rela my relationship with Jesus just began to break down as I began to drift into intellectual ascent. I wanna get the Bible into my mind and I wanna live like it tells me to live, but that was the becoming the beginning and end of my faith. 
And I was losing, it's like I had the skeleton, but I'm losing the heart of the whole thing, the beating heart of the whole thing, which was the presence of God. So I wanna show you a picture of my daughter Ava. I didn't ask you, but I know you wouldn't mind, Ava. She's right there. This is my daughter Ava when she was a little girl. Um, she was a lot younger then. <laughs> They're growing up so fast. Um, and I, the reason why I wanna show you this picture because uh, when she started horseback riding lessons, um, I had this, this moment with her teacher. Um, so I'm, sti- I'm, I'm sitting there watching. I'm so proud. She's on this big horse. And the horse did something that, and Ava flew off of it onto the ground. You remember that? You remember that, Ava, when that happened? Um, and what did I do as a parent who's sitting right there? I'm running into the ring, right? I'm like, I'm gonna save my baby. I was scared. She turned out great. Um, and as I was running towards her, her teacher, the trainer, looked at me and said, stop. And I thought, this is weird. I feel like I'm in trouble. <laughs> and what she did was she tried to get Ava to get on the horse fast right away. And I, I thought that was so bizarre. Um, and later on, she told me that when a child that age falls off a horse, if they don't get on fast and overcome that fear quick, they may never get on a horse again. It was really an interesting experience for me. Um, I'm like, yeah, but how do you know their head's okay? Like, <laughs> um, she, her head is okay. Um, <laughs> in a sense, though, uh, but in all honesty, I know we're talking through a lot here, but this really matters. In a sense, in a sense, um, I fell off the horse when it came to the things of the Spirit. I fell off the horse when it came to the things of the Spirit. Jesus was inviting me back on. Um, uh, but, but as I, there was a time in my life where I actually had a conversion back to the Holy Spirit. I was a pastor, um, where Jesus is inviting me back on that horse because it was actually fear that was creating distance from me in the presence of God. And it was actually, and even though I had an identity as a child of God, I was, I was, um, it, it was, it was stripping the life out of my faith. And I'm also trying to be a pastor, <laughs> And, and, it, and it just, it, it was like, and it's like how many Christians like walk around, like um, they, they feel some sort of conviction around the things of God. They're in a sense followers of Jesus, but it's like they're dying and withering on the inside. Um, and, and I was experiencing that and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful there was a sense of getting back on that horse and I'm so grateful, uh, but it feels different than it did before. It feels way more invitational, invitational and less pressurized. So now I'd like to do this real quick. This is an, and I, I wanted to share that story because I think this is an invitation for somebody. I think maybe there's someone here who has fallen off the horse and you're afraid to get back on because of fear or trauma from your past, church environments that maybe have held um, the things of the spirit in ways um, that have, um, have has, has really caused you to enter into a faith that is about the word, that is about the family, but not about the presence of God. And uh, it's an invitation for you but what we're gonna look at um, briefly is we're gonna actually go into Acts chapter two and we're gonna take a closer look at the moment the Holy Spirit fell when the church began. And I know I'm, I'm going through this a little bit slow. Um, as we go through this, this is really important that we grab a hold of as a church family as we think about not just our life as we gather, but also as we scatter. Um, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus according to the Bible. And so as we look at Acts chapter two, one through four, there's this point in time where something happened that was just crazy. Uh, It's when the Holy Spirit fell, just like Joel promised, just like Jesus promised. And so it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who was all together in one place? The church, followers of Jesus. It was the first prayer room. It was a prayer meeting that they were having. And then suddenly, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, um, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so for some of you, again, that brings up trauma and things from your past. I don't know about all that crazy. Let's take a deeper look. 
Let's take a deeper look at what's happening here. We wanna create formulas out of stuff like this. Okay, let's find that, let's find a room. It's gotta be an upper room, by the way. Um, and we're looking for tongues of fire. We're looking for wind. We want the formula. Well, let's take a deeper look because um, I don't know that that's how God moved. We're gonna, we're gonna zoom out. Um, the spirit of God was not actually introduced here in scripture. That's not where the spirit of God was introduced. The spirit of God was there from the very, very beginning. If you look all the way back in the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning, Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 through 2, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that, those words there in the Hebrew actually captures a temperament of chaos. Of chaos. Um, so this is the Spirit of God hovering over um, chaos. In, and that's the beginning of the story. That's when the Spirit of God is introduced in the Bible. The Jewish word for spirit is this, ruach. Everybody say ruach. And if you really want to do it right, you go in the end, like you're hawking a loogie. Um, the actual word means something to the effect of breath or air or wind. You got to follow me here, okay? Breath or air or wind. So the Spirit of God is hovering over chaos. This is a clue in the Hebrew Scriptures as we move through the story of God into the New Testament. Um, this is a clue to what happens when the Spirit hovers over something. Are you with me? Unformed mass, chaos gets transformed when the Spirit hovers and breathes. Now, a few questions. Does society sometimes feel like unformed chaos? Another question, does your life sometimes feel unformed and chaotic? What happens when the Spirit of God breathes over chaos? There's a timeline I wanna bring you into. In Genesis chapter one, the Spirit hovers, God breathes, creation. Then there's rebellion, humans deciding to do life without the Spirit, and without the breath of God, without the, the breath, the life, the wind of God in our sails. But John 3.16, but John 3.16, yes, you can put it on a coffee mug, but it's true. God so loved the world, so Jesus was sent, lived, died, rose again, and ascended. And in Matthew chapter 28, it's the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach people everything that I've taught you, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and behold, I will be, I will be what? With you to the end of the age. Does God lie? Well, Jesus is going away, but God is gonna be with us and that word with, by the way, is a word carried through all of scripture. When the withness was broken in the garden and God is restoring it, that word with is not a, like a distant with, hey, I'm with you, man. It is an intimate withness, closer than your skin withness. Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter two, fire appeared and settled on each of them. The spirit hovers again and suddenly the sound of blowing like a violent wind, ruach. Breeze again. Heaven and earth collide. The kingdom has come. God has called out our chaos and is still calling out our chaos. Okay. There are moments in life um, that cause us to rethink our theology, and this is one of them for them. I'm going to bring you into three words that will help you see this a little clearer. They thought God's spirit was in a particular place and moved in a particular way. They thought the presence of God was in a particular place and moved in a particular way. And that God just showed them that that's not the only way he moves and that's not the only place he is. And, uh, and in Acts chapter two, God shows them how much they don't know. And what happens right here, it's like a defibrillator. It's actually what, what brought life to the church. It's something else. Defibrillator's not the right metaphor. It, brought, it, brought, it took lungs that weren't breathing and brought breath into those lungs. And now the church, which isn't an organization, it's an organism, it began to breathe. So a few words that bring us into how shocking this was for the Jewish people um, that were present that day. The first word is wind. Um, because you're quiet, I'm gonna have you say it with me. Everybody say wind. 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 
Okay, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. This is actually, the, this, this comes from that same word in Gen- Genesis, rach. It's the same, same word coming through scripture. Came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting in. Okay, so here's what's interesting about this. Ezekiel, one of the prophets of old, we read about in scripture, there's actually a time where Ezekiel had seen God's presence leave the temple because of Israel's disobedience. God's presence had left the Jewish people, had left the temple. In the longing of the Jewish people on this day, that God's presence, God's spirit would come back, the wind of God in Genesis would come back. But their mindset was this, that we just want God's presence to come back to the temple, to the temple, which was in one geographical location. That, that was their mind, that was the longing of the Jewish imagination, the Jewish soul of that time. Um, their desire was for the spirit of God to come again. But it happens, um, but, but if this happens, it'll come in a temple, and, but right here, like it, it came to like a, a, like a drabby Airbnb. All of a sudden, the, the presence of God that they thought would, maybe, they hoped, maybe would come back someday to the temple actually filled this room, this, this home, this ordinary space. Ordinary space. There's no gold in the walls. There's no altars. The wind of God, the ruach of God, the the breath of God, the life of God filled this place. And so the shock number one is this. God's spirit fills an apartment. That's shock number one. Now even grubby apartments can be temples. Um, And that's what's really beautiful thinking about the church meeting all around the world and caves and underground and, and even when I'm by myself like and I'm I'm like you know in my messy garage it can become a temple um, you're at your school you're going to your locker all of a sudden these normal places can become temples where you can commune with the living God but it actually gets more potent than that uh, and and the 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 second word that I want to point you to is fire everybody say fire wind fire I'm not going to sing a song um, they saw what seemed, now this is humans trying to make sense of something in the spirit. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came uh, to rest on each of them. So we're gonna rewind. Um, the Jewish people would have understood fire. They would have totally understood f- this image of fire. Um, the burning bush in Exodus chapter three, it was burning because it was on See, you're with me. Um, Fire that led Israel through the wilderness. The fire that led them through the wilderness that night represented the presence of God leading them. Um, The fire that came down on the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings, this symbol was in the Jewish imagination. And just like the wind represented the presence of God, so did the fire. The fire represented the presence of God as well. But now let me ask you this. Who was in that room? Who was in that room? Can any of you name any of the names that were in that room? Anybody? Peter was in that room. Peter had just recently denied Jesus. He had his knucklehead moments. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Thomas had doubts. Anyone ever have doubts before? Thomas was in the room. Um, there were a lot of disciples who had a lot of arrogance at different times along the journey. Remember the disciples who argued about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Anybody ever struggle with pride? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're humble. No? Um, you're in good company. And like in, in Genesis chapter one, the spirit was hovering over each person's unformed chaos. Uh, and it, it, think about this, like the spirit was hovering over each person. Um, there's, create, there's creation, there's the fall, but there's recreation. And recreation starts with the individual soul. As the Spirit's hovering over their chaos, it was actually a rebirth and a recreation in the soul because that's what happens when the Spirit hovers over chaos, new life is born. The Spirit is hovering over these, these, these chaotic souls that are in the upper room. Shock number two, God's Spirit doesn't just fill grubby apartments, but imperfect people. Now all of a sudden, temples aren't just, temples aren't just that, um, that cave where a church is meeting somewhere in the world or, or your bedroom, which is so beautiful to think you can commune with God there or anywhere, like your locker at school, I'm looking at some of the young people, like um, a classroom, your job, your cubicle, whatever it is, like, no, but actually you're a walking temple of God. This was like, for them. 
So how did this happen? What is the word that shows us how this, the presence of God falling took place? How did it take place? It says it happened suddenly. What a brilliant word, suddenly. Ha! <laughs> suddenly. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and then suddenly. And some of them were probably falling asleep praying. Then suddenly. This was the movement that started it all. Billions of people worldwide. The spirit didn't move after a strategic plan was put in place. The spirit didn't move after a building fund. The spirit didn't move after a formula was followed. It was beyond their control. God was leading. God was leading and God was initiating. So the third shock was this before, we're, before we end today. Really simple. Um, for us and for them, there is no formula in experiencing God. Um, why is, and here's why this is important. This is important. Um, actually, wrong word, sorry. <laughs> um, it's important because in our surrender, we can be very, very controlling. And we can say, I'm so surrendered to you, Jesus. Will you bring your healing to me? But I want you to heal me this way at this time. Oh, Jesus, I surrender to you, but I really want you to move in this way. I've heard other people pray prayers this way. Why are you doing it for them and you're not doing it for me, Jesus? And we can become very controlling in our surrender, but this word suddenly shows us that there's not actually a formula, that we're not out front leading God. God is actually leading us. And so um, let's just, let's do this now. Let's all stand together. If, um, one of you wanna grab this board and worship team, you can go ahead and come up. Um, actually, actually, I'm so sorry. And this is just me being super weird. Can you bring that up and put it right up here for a second? This, can you all clap for Rose? Um, I was on a trip all week and seriously, my brain is, is mush and so I do um, thank you for sticking with me today uh, as we go through this. Um, uh, what is this, what, how does, if, does this affect how we gather? Um, we've made some very intentional decisions on how we gather as a church family. We've decided that we're not gonna build motorboats. You've heard this, I've shared this before, we're gonna build sailboats. Um, in, in other words, we're, we're not gonna try to rev up the engine to get you all excited about, um, to, to, to pump you up. That's not what we're gonna try to do here. Um, we are actually going to create space very regularly to listen to Jesus. As uncomfortable as space is, we're gonna, we're gonna try to create space. We're gonna create unforced space to pray for each other, not pressurized environments that are connected to the idea of the Spirit, but just an invitation to step into something. That's why we pray for each other. That's why sometimes we invite people to the aisles to pray for each other, um, to step out of hiding, to be vulnerable. We're gonna come alongside each other. And I love what, uh, I heard this this past week, something John Wimber used to say. He'd say, we, we, want, we invite the Holy Spirit to move, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't, we go to lunch early. It's great. We don't have to live in a pressurized, so we, what we do is we open up, we, we open up a sail when you open up a sail, you can't make the wind blow, but if it does blow, you're, you're there. And our attention is always to the presence of God. The point of our gatherings is not the teaching. That's not the peak. That's an important part, not the peak. Um, our connection with each other, it's an important part. It's not the point. The, the king is in the room. That's the point. And so we have made and we will make, continue to make decisions to actually let this environment not be a hurried, fast-paced environment. I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, we don't end at a specific time. Sorry, not sorry. Um, if you need that, I get it. But we actually end in a window of time. 
And we end in a window, and our children's ministry is all dialed into that. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank, I just thank those leaders for, because why? We want to give space for the spirit of God to move. We say this too. You never have to sneak out. You don't have to sneak out of your living room. You don't have to sneak out of here. So if you got to go, you can go. Like, um, we're going to hold space open though. And, and we want this to be a family gathering where there, we can experience freedom in Christ together, practicing the presence of God, not perfecting it, but we're going to interact with God every time we gather as the point of our gathering. The scripture is the foundation that points us to that. And out of that is born a true intimacy with each other. If we put love for each other above that, it's a disordered love and it becomes idolatry. So um, I think the last thing that I'm gonna say is this. Um, I'm talking a long time this morning. This past week, um, when we gathered with some of our pastors in Portland, a guy by the name of Tim Mackey taught you guys know who Tim Mackey is of the Bible Project? You familiar with that? Um, and I can't, and I was so struck by his humility. He actually, um, he got up and he shared this. He said, I've invested in one part of my faith, my mind in the Bible. And he said, it, but then he said, I began to ask the question, is faith just a set of ideas or is there more? He said, it turns out there is so much more to experience in Jesus that I don't know about. He said, I was dissatisfied and sad about a lack of God's presence in my life. And he said, over the past one and a half years, I've been coming alive to God's presence. And he said, I'm just one and a half years old. He says, I'm just a baby follower of Jesus. This is a guy that spent his life teaching the Bible. And it really impacted me that we can set the bar so low for followers of Jesus that you can call yourself a Christian your whole life and never pray over five minutes. May that not be the case here as we practice the presence of God together. So let me just ask this, if you're here today, and this is what I sense happening all around our country and in here, this reality that as we gather, the word is our foundation, the presence is our focus, family gathering in the middle. Okay, in the craziness of this message and all the words and even a financial update and praying for Scotty and everything that took place, let's just take a breath for a second. Hmm. Is there anybody here that you just feel like you've fallen off that horse when it comes to the presence of God? You just feel really, really nervous about that and... Um, but you actually wanna live into that. You just, you wanna receive the invitation to get back on the horse. Um, can I just invite you now, wherever you're at, just to put out your hands? That's you. It's okay. And if somebody's standing next to you, feel free to put a hand on a shoulder as a brother or sister in Christ. If you're here today and, and you, um, maybe you're kinda new to this, um, you just wanna open up your life to Jesus maybe even for the first time. The presence of God in our midst for the first time. Go ahead and put out your hand. That's you. And go ahead and just, maybe even just pray. Jesus, will you meet me here? Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Go ahead and just pray on your own. You don't need me to pray. Go ahead and pray on your own. In the quietness of this moment, just you and Jesus, wherever you're at in this room, wherever you're at in this journey, whether you tuned out of the message or not, <laughs> tune into the presence of God right now. And we'll just let a little bit of quiet fill this place, and then we'll lift up our voices in gratitude, and then we'll move from this place, and we'll hang out together in the gathering place.